All right, here I am with Sean Sweeney, served 15 years in the UK prison system. Sean saw the video that I did with Pepsi Watson, and he actually met Pepsi in prison. Sean is also a big viewer of the After Prison Show, has watched a lot of Joe Guerrero's videos, which I'm a big fan of as well. So we're just going to start out, and I'm going to ask you what, landed you in prison for 15 years i was convicted of murder and uh unlawful wounding section 18 and and a fray what led up to the incident um basically i sort of like my life at that time was really kind of chaotic uh, you know the 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 proper stereotype of council stay and drugs and you know, just that proper chav, stupid lifestyle. Um, my younger brother, he he was the same sort of like like, like as me. He was he was in trouble. I'd already served quite a few sentences in and out of young offenders. What um, kind of stuff was that for? Um, my first sentence was uh, an aggravated burglary. I didn't. But it wasn't like, well, I don't want to try and make excuses. Yeah, basically, it was an aggravated burglary. Um, I was out of my nut, um, walked past the house of someone who I didn't like, who I'd had a run-in with a few weeks before, and, yeah, uh, b- broke into his house and and, and, and attacked him. Um, so you and your brother, then, were you guys involved in drugs? Is that why you were you were doing these robberies? Was it to finance uh, drug stuff? Yeah, or? basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was heavy, like, into the drugs, just heavy into the whole, like, just council estate, just criminal, like, my whole thinking and everything was just completely warped back then, you know? And, it, 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 and the town I live in as well, it's, it, it's all about, you know, who's... Oh, did you hear what he done last night? Oh, he's a nutter. Oh my God. You know, and it's, it's all that sort of like, like it's really sort of like, I don't know, backwards mentality, I feel. But um, yeah, back onto the main question. My brother was involved in selling cannabis. Um, he's gone and sold a bit of cannabis to a couple of fellas. Um, he's left. I, was, I wasn't with him. I didn't know. I was nothing to do with any of this. He's kind of left. Later on at no at home that night, they're phoning him up saying that he's ripped them off. They couldn't find it. My brother's saying he left it there. They couldn't find it. There was all confusion because they tried to pay him in like a big bottle full of coins. So where was he supposed to have left the weed? Round their flat. At their flat. Yeah. Well, they weren't home or something. No, he's gone round there, sold it to him. Yeah. And uh. Basically, they didn't have... It was only £15, but they didn't have notes. They've had, like, a big jar, what they've been collecting coins in. Yeah. And they've emptied out this jar and they're counting that. So they're there for ages, counting out all these coins. And what my brother's got the money, gone, left. Um, and then the next thing, so apparently... So your brother was purchasing the weed? No, my brother was selling it to them. Oh, I see. And they've, they've stood all this time counting out all this money to pay your brother. Yeah, yeah, to pay my brother. Gotcha. Yeah, my brother's then got the money. My brother's then left. Apparently, one of them has sort of like gone, uh, 
gone to the window and shouted my brother when he's on the street, where did you put her? And the other one has come behind my brother and gone, don't worry, mate, I'll see you give it to him. Okay, so my brother's gone. Later on that night, they're saying they couldn't find it. My brother's ripped them off. Um, okay, so when this weed transaction happened, the money was handed over. Yeah. And your brother handed over the weed to who? Yeah, uh, I, I wasn't there. Okay. I wasn't there. I wasn't okay. there. I, I just all all this what I'm now telling you yeah. is what my brother's told me. I, I see. was I wasn't there. I was nothing to do with this. Okay. It was later on that night. I'm with my brother at home, yeah. and they're phoning my brother up, threatening him. And when we see you, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Yeah. And, and were I these said, cre- who were these people? Were they credible threats? Not particularly. Not particularly. To be fair. Um, no, not particularly. Okay, so what happened next? Um, we've decided, like I said, my my thinking was just backwards back then, you know, and like I said as well, the, the culture of my town and that and what it was like, that was, you know, um, oh, what, you can't let no one mug you off, what, they're fragile. You know, it was all that. I was a young man and that was all that. You, what, who do you think you are? Yeah, well, I ain't scared of you. That's it. Um, but how old were you at this point? I was 20 at this point. And how old was your brother? My brother was 18. Um, but what people don't realise is at that time of my life, my life was that chaotic. It seemed like every other day someone would say to me, oh, do you know who so-and-so is? No. Well, he reckons that you've done this and he's going to smash your head in when he sees you. I had people chasing me with knives. I had people like bigger, older people with bigger reputations than me. They, you know, like they were always after me and and the drugs and my paranoia. I was walking down the street looking over my shoulder. Like life was just horrible. And most of the stuff I was getting accused of, I did not actually do, but I do understand why I was getting accused of it because I was a little shit. Um, and so... The long and short of it is, like I said, they weren't really credible threats, but because life at that time was so chaotic and so it seemed like I was just so paranoid, I used to carry a knife or I used to always carry a weapon. And yeah, we've gone there. So did they show up, like asking yeah, where is our we, weed or something? No, we've gone to their flat and we've actually bumped into them on the street outside of their flat. And how I remember it, my brother and the main one have started arguing. The the one against my brother, he's 15 stone. My brother's about eight stone at the time. So in America, and I'm just going to explain some things to the American viewers throughout this interview. So one stone is what, like 14 pounds, 16 pounds? 14 pounds, 14 pounds, Okay, so this guy's 15 stone, so he's um, 200 and something, high 200 pounds, and your brother's only skinny. Yes, yeah, he's tiny, he's tiny. Um, and he's produced a hammer. So you've got a big guy with a hammer now, which makes him become a credible threat. Yeah, he's produced a hammer. My brother has produced a baseball bat. <laughs> um, and that's all started going a little bit stupid. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. It's on a street in the middle of council estate. It's all getting a little bit stupid, but it's just verbal at this time. It's just arguing. It's just verbal. Um, then basically, 
I was distracted by the other one. Like, so there's me and my brother, and then there's him and his friend. I then got distracted by the other one who was shouting. And then the next thing I know, I've turned around and that's, he's tried to grab my brother and my brother's sort of like, like half-hearted attempt, but my brother's wriggled away and swung the bat at him. But my brother was that little, it didn't, it didn't do anything to him. He just carried on marching forward. And then my brother sort of like swung the bat at him again, again, it didn't do nothing. He's carried on marching forward. The other one has jumped my brother, got my brother on the floor. And that is when I kicked in and I did, I did go to stab him. Um, but as I've gone to stab him, I felt something hit my back and I stumbled and I missed as far as I, I, thought, I thought I'd missed. And now the 15 stone bloke with the hammer has got me in a headlock and I've just absolutely shit myself because he's got me in a headlock there with a hammer in his right hand. And I think that is going through the top of my head any second. And I've shit myself basically. And I was just thrashed and lashed out wildly, just out of pure fear. No bravado, no, I'm, I'm a nutcase, I'm big, I'm mental, I'm hard, out of pure fear. Um, he, His grip let go, he, he sort of like, he's let go of me, um, and he started going, you've just effing stabbed me. The other one is standing, he's now screaming now, like lights are starting to come on, curtains are starting to twitch. I've grabbed my brother and said, go, we've gone. And I even said to, they're standing at the street going, this ain't over when we see you. And I even said to my brother, we've got to be on our toes because this is not over. And all I, I only know this from reading um, statements and police reports, but literally we must have got to the end of the street and gone round the corner and he must have collapsed in the road. And I, I didn't realise, I honestly didn't know. Um, in the medical report, what did it say he was stabbed? His aorta, his spleen and his diaphragm. Bloody hell. Yeah. So you were like lashing out in a self-defensive way because you were you felt trapped and you, the fear just kicked in. At that precise moment, at that precise moment when he held me in a headlock, yes, but I don't want to try and, you know, like wriggle out of any blame. I did go there like an absolute idiot. I did go there thinking, oh, bloody show you. I did go there thinking as well all the trouble I had with other people, what was going on at that time, thinking this will send a message to them, you know? Um, and uh, that, was, that was the worst day of my life. I just want to say something to the viewers at this point then. Having spoke to Sean on the phone, he takes full responsibility for what happened. And I said to him that if weed was legal, this never would have happened because all this violence that comes about, I'm not absolving Sean from guilt here or blame. I'm just pointing out that all this violence that comes around from drugs being illegal, everything from knife crime in London, a lot of it, to all these people getting murdered in Mexico, revolves around drugs being illegal. A lot of it revolves around the black market profits, people fighting for the black market profits. It also revolves around your average person say they just want to buy a little bit of drugs. They can't go to a government approved 
vendor where the substance is going to 100% pure and the person you're buying it off is going to be like a shopkeeper, they've got to go to some dodgy backstreet apartment where they don't know who they're buying it off in the beginning at least. They don't know what the quality of the product is. They don't have to do is going to pull out a gun on them and just take the money. All of this stuff would end if weed was completely legalized and all of the drugs. So just a little aside from Sean's story, that's how I feel about this. I feel that this never would have happened if, if cannabis was legal in the first place. And when I mentioned this to Sean on the phone, he said, look, I'm not want to cop out here and, and not take any responsibility. I take full responsibility for what I did, whether weed is legal or not. So I just want to make it clear, you know, that's how Sean felt and how, that's how he feels when I spoke to him on the phone. So, all right, so you got, you think these guys are still standing and you go back. Now you're probably thinking, right, we might have to tool up again now because they're going to come back for retaliate against us. How long was that going on before you found out that this had gone all the way to this guy dying? Right. Basically, what's happened is then we've sort of like we've left the street where it's happened. Or we've got back uh, home because me and my brother still live at home with our dad. We've got back home. And just as a sheer coincidence, my brother actually had a court case the next morning just for something com- just not connected to this at all. And... Uh, a girl who he was seeing at the time what lived on the street where the fight had just happened actually phoned him up and said oh where are you in court tomorrow like can i come with you sort of thing and my brother said just look out the window and see if you can like see any police in the street or something like that yeah and she said oh my god there's loads of police out there they've got the roads taped off everything like that so as soon as my brother's off, I heard my brother's side of the conversation. As soon as he said that, we've called a taxi and we've gone to a different estate right over the other side of town to stay with a cousin. Um, and I literally, it still had not entered my head that he was he was going to die. It, that didn't happen in little towns where I'm from. That happens in books and that happens on the films and that happens on TV programmes and that happens in London and Manchester. That doesn't happen in little towns where I'm from. That just don't happen. Didn't even enter my head that he was going to die. I'm like, right, we're we're trying to sort out a story. Like, we're going to get nicked for this. He's going to grass us up. We're trying to sort out a story, alibis and just crap like that. Um, next morning, wake up, my mum rings me because we didn't live with my mum. rings me early. Police have been here looking for you and your brother. I said, okay, mum, about a fight. What for? About, all they said was that it was about a fight last night. I said, okay. I said, was it uniform or CID? She said, CID. I went, okay. All right. I said, no, it's nothing, mum. Don't worry about it. Put the phone down. I went, they've grassed us up. For your American viewers, grassed up his snitching. I uh, said uh, they've 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 grassed us up. My brother, I said, do not go to court. They're going to be waiting for you. Oh, I don't care. I'm going to go to court anyway. I was okay. So my brother's gone to court. Next thing I know, a couple of hours later, I'm round someone's. My cousins come round. They've just nicked your brother. You've killed him. He's dead. When you heard that. What went through your head? 
that that that's just something I'm never ever 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 going to be able to put into words. That maybe people watch this who was actually there. There was a couple of people there at that time, and if then people are watching it there, no, I ran because I was in the upstairs uh, floor of some flats. I've ran down the balcony, got to the stairs, and my legs just collapsed. And I'd only been released from prison, only for a six-month sentence, but I'd only been released three months earlier. So prison was fresh in my mind. And I was under the I was under the same impression that most of the public is under today about um, you know, murder. Well, murder, that's life, and life is 25 years, which isn't the case. But at my at that time I was, I can't do 25 years of that. I can't do 25 years of that. Um and yeah, basically, um, yeah, it was like the whole, you know, and, and and again, I can sit here and say it was like the whole arse fell out of my world, but I'm well aware that at that precise time there was people going, their world was a hell of a lot more devastated than mine at that time. Yeah, and you know, it, it's heartbreaking for everybody involved here. It's heartbreaking for the uh, family members of the victim. Um. You know, like I said, this would never have happened if if drug if cannabis had been legal. It's it was comp- it's just so unnecessary. Uh, it's heartbreaking. Also for your mum and dad, I imagine um, they're going to go through hell. Before we we continue on with the story, though, what would you say to all these young people right now walking around London with knives in the pockets? As, as do you know what? There's there's not any like one thing to say. I I could sit here and talk about that and try and speak to them for hours. And it is it happens out of fear. It happens out of fear. Scared that you'll look like a prick. Scared that you'll be mugged off. Scared that you'll lose respect. Scared that you know people will see you as a victim and that. It's just all born out of fear, you know? And the thing is, people say like, oh, you're a, you're a pussy if you don't use your hands and things like that. F- fully agree, but you get, you get things like steroid heads go around and they pump themselves up full of steroids and get massive and powerful and then go around slapping little people about. So then what's that little person going to do to even the score? He's going to... He's going to pick up a knife, you know. Um, so how how would you encourage these young people to not pick up knives? What would you tell them? I don't really, I don't really know if there's anything I can say because that's just too deeply ingrained now. I think perhaps just listening to the rest of your story because that's just too deeply they're gonna, ingrained. They're going to see think. the rest of your story is going to demonstrate the consequences of what happened in your case. The fact of the matter is, what I'd like to say of them: there are so many kids out there now, and they think that's all about being a bad man, being a bad man, being being the top dog, being the top boy. Yeah, that that's how they think, and that's cool. But I promise you now respect is better than fear because if you're one of them people who's just dark and you're like and you're just on that bad man thing from start to finish when you go around certain people they get nervous around you they don't want to be around you people then start avoiding you but if you're you know if you're you know what you're capable of doing but yet the weaker lesser people in you you're just respectful to them and you make them feel comfortable it can open doors for you it can help you like that person might own a business in years to come 
And if he's scared to be around you, he's not going to give you a leg up if you need it. But if you've always been good to him, you know, just because you might be a bad man and you might be able to, you know, scare everyone around you doesn't mean that you should. It's just not the way forward, you know. Um, so what happens next in your story then? You've, you've ran, your legs have gone out. And now you're like thinking the police um, are coming, I'm yeah, going to do 25. I'm out. I've got to get out of not just the town, out of the county. Um, and I'm back at my cousin's house and just uh, there's a lot of sort of like just just so happens. Um, but just so happened, we, bu we bumped into a couple of friends of ours who was driving past, sort of like flagged them down. Look, this is what's happened. Get us out of town. They, they was in a car. So yeah, long story short, jumped in the car. They whizzed me out of town. They whizzed me out of Norfolk and I went to a cousin's. Um, but my brother's in the police station all this time. And all this time I'm on the phone to the solicitor and the solicitor's saying, you've got to come back. You've got to come back. They haven't really got much evidence. You've got to come back. You've got to come back. My brother... They knew they had not. They'd been given my brother's name because my brother was the one who actually done the deal with the two victims earlier. But when I turned up, they didn't know who I was. So they just, the police wanted me. They just put two and two together. Um, so my brother's arrested. They're looking for one other person. We know it was Sean. No, it weren't Sean. Come on, it was Sean. No, it wasn't Sean. But he was starting to drop himself in it and my solicitor was telling me this that he was starting to drop himself in it so I sort of gathered before it's not realised I couldn't stay on the run forever and the next day I walked into the police station and handed myself in and do you know what day that was? It's my 21st birthday Wow Yeah um, So what did the police say? How did you hand yourself in? What did you tell them? Yeah uh, well went to a solicitor said to the solicitor you know, I went and met my solicitor. My solicitor phoned him and said, I'm going to bring him in. At, I can't remember what time it was, I think about two o'clock. So, and I just walked in there with a the solicitor. Yeah. How did that feel just to submit yourself? That's the, that's the, uh, like I say, at that time, I was really, really, really entrenched in the criminal life. And to give yourself to them like that, that was just so unnatural. That was so unnatural to me, like, you know, the amount of times they've chased me and I've hid in bloody stinging nettle bushes and climbed up trees and, you know, climbed on... To go and actually hand yourself in, but the solicitor kept saying, um, it'll work out in your favour. Just hand yourself in, it'll work out in your favour. So it went you... against your criminal instincts. And when you handed yourself in... How was that first day for you after that handing in? That was that was a bit of a whirlwind because sort of as soon as they get you there, they're like, right. Now I've been arrested before and they've done fingerprints and they've done DNA and, and things like that. But this is now this is murder. So they're like, right, in. That you they take off each piece of clothing one by one you know, bag it, tag it. Then they put out a big sheet of paper. I actually had curtains then because curtains was the haircut in the 90s. And they make you comb your hair over the bit of paper, fold all that up. They scrape underneath your fingernails. 
and that was just a long process and it was sort of it was all that the first like that afternoon it was all of that also being a drug addict at the time and that as well I was sort of kicking off a bit get the bloody doctor here and you know and my thoughts and my emotions were just to start off with remember that I just wanted my brother out just get him out. That 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 was all I wanted. That was my only concern. Look, I'm here now. It was me. It's nothing to do with him. Get him out. That was that was my only concern at that time. Um, what drugs were you coming down off? Heroin. So that was like overwhelmingly feeling sick then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Burning up, hot, cold, agitated, um, and another thing. I'd, you don't really hear people um, talk about when, when you're withdrawing because your emotions have just been numbed and dulled for so long. Or, you, you you know, I've had it where I've been withdrawing and a song comes on and you start crying because all these emotions suddenly are unlocked and I'm now sat in there. I've got all these emotions now starting to come out and there is... There is a point of you that is very sorry for what you've done and you're sort of thinking about the person was died and his family, but overwhelmingly, if I'm completely honest at that stage, you're just thinking about yourself. Oh, fuck, I've bollocks my life. How am I... I've just... I've never known of such a feeling of helplessness and lost and it's over. How old were you when you started heroin? About 17. What was the first drug you did? Cannabis. How old were you then? About 14. So when you was on the heroin and it, it masked all this pain you were feeling, then you got off the heroin and this, this, emo- this emotional stuff came back out. Where did this pain come from? Did you ever figure that out? I've got a lot of... I've got a lot of issues from childhood and things like that. There's, don't get me wrong, I didn't have, I'm not looking for sympathy. I didn't have the worst childhood in the world. I wasn't like sexually abused or anything like that, you know. Um, but there are things, what happened in my childhood, what gave me issues, I, I suppose, you know, issues of, of abandonment and sort of not feeling loved and feeling alone and sort of you know I had a a mum sort of suffered a lot with mental health um wasn't around a lot at a certain time so as as a young boy I was left to basically look after two younger brothers was your dad not around my dad wasn't around they were split up so I was sort of at 13 years old I was sort of running the house and looking after two younger brothers how old are you when they split 10 um yeah, and then sort of my mum just had a breakdown. I come home from school and she just wasn't there. She'd, she'd gone. She couldn't do it no more, three boys. And I was real trouble at school. I've, she just couldn't cope. She just couldn't cope. Um, at the time, you're very angry and very hurt about it. But then when you grow up and you become an adult, you realise that your parents, they're just normal people as well. Um, and they're not indestructible, you know. And then my dad, I'll give credit to my dad, he he's always loved us and he came straight back to move into the house. But there are times where things get on top of my dad 
that's a lot of pressure, free boys and stress and money and things like that. And so he liked to drink. He's a mad Glaswegian, my dad. So he liked to drink. And then there were occasions when he had a drink. Arguments would sort of erupt. And so, but I don't I, want that to say, make, make, make it sound like, because I, I had, I've got some really, really happy memories from childhood. And I don't want to make it sound like, oh, I had such a bad childhood. That's why but it wasn't like that. I was just, I, I thought, you know, the whole world owed me and how dare my mum be struggling and not be there to look after me and how dare my dad, you know, and, and I realise now that my whole thinking, it wasn't that my childhood was that terrible, but it, it really affected me because the way I thought was terrible. Appreciate your honesty. How soon after you got arrested... Did they find out, your parents find out about the serious nature of what had happened? Well, the the night that it happened, I told you, me and my brother went home and the girl rang my brother and said the police are outside. My dad was in the house. Okay. And this this was 2000. Um, sort of, we didn't, we didn't have mobile phones. My brother had a mobile phone and my dad had a mobile phone, but I didn't. But my brother didn't have no credit, so I've actually had to wake my dad up to say, Dad, can you use your phone to ring a taxi? And so my dad knows, my dad's never been a criminal, but he used to drink in the pub where all the criminals drank, and he he knows the score, do you know what I mean? And when my mum's a worry gut, I would always be able to be more straightforward with my dad about what things, what was going on than I could with my mum. And I, I told my dad, I sort of said to my dad straight away, like, need a taxi, dad. This has just happened. He went, oh, bloody hell. But again, no one thought he would die. No one really thought he would die at all. What was their reaction when they learned he'd died? I don't I was locked in a cell. Did you not speak to your mum or anything on the phone? I spoke to my mum, yeah, and I spoke to my dad. A lot of tears. Your mum was crying. Yeah, I was crying. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to sit here and lie. Yeah, a lot of tears. Mm. Um, a, a lot of... There was a lot of um, them trying to... not blame me. Yeah, shift the blame. Yeah, there was a lot of them. Well, you was defending your little brother. You know, there there was a lot of that because who wants to admit that their child, the, the the being that they've brought into the world, is capable of doing that? Yeah. So there was a lot of, oh, they started on you. They had a hammer. You was protecting your little brother. You you know there was sort of a, but my mum was devastated. Oh yeah. My dad oh, was yeah. devastated. They were devastated. Yeah. So you're in a remand jail right now. Yeah. And what's happening to you in this Romania? What's your living situation like? Um, uh, this was the old A-Wing in HMP Norwich at that time. Um, well, no, actually, to start off with, they've sent me to jail. And if you're sort of like nicked for murder and things like that, they like to put you on the hospital wing for 28 days observation because they say like that, if anything's going to make you string up. You know, being Suicide arrested, watch. you know, you're looking down that, yeah, basically. But they put me in an eight man dorm. So they put me in an eight man dorm. And what basically was happening was my head was just up my backside. And I was taking a lot of other people's, other prisoners' medication. 
um, and some of their medications was serious stuff. And that started sending me psychotic. And they then started prescribing me antipsychotics, Stelazine. And I can't remember that there's a tablet they give you what counters the side effects, stops you getting locked jaw and things like that. Um, but it's like an amphetamine based. And I was, I can't even explain where my mental health was at that time. I was bouncing off the walls. I just didn't, and I'm getting messages um, from like, oh, you go over on that main wing, you're getting killed there, you know. Well, they, his they his friends, friends from, are over there, yeah. yeah. His friends are over there. They're going to, yeah, like, and, and there was someone from my town who was quite big, quite a big dealer. He was over there and I knew he would be capable of paying someone a big parcel of drugs. And I didn't, bear in mind as well, I've never been in the adult prison system at this time. I've only done young offenders. And so I'm sat on the hospital wing and I'm like, oh my God, what's going on here? I'm going to go over there and I'm going to be at absolute war. Um, yeah, again, shitting myself. No no bravado. I'm a, I'm a big bad boy or nothing like that. Um, but my mental health was going sort of like that sort of haywire. I was getting into a lot of trouble on the hospital wing and I ended up, Someone nicked one of my little yogurts. Look, like the boys on the kitchen and that who serve the food, they get leftovers and they gave me a few extra like little yogurts, little mousses. And there was someone in the dorm who was um he was withdrawing. And I gave everyone a mousse, you know, shared it, gave everyone one. I had two left. He said, Can I have one of them? I said, No, mate, I've given everyone one, they're mine sort of gone to sleep. Next thing I've heard, I've heard someone going, what have you just taken out of his locker? I've jumped out. He's sneaked, sneaked over and taken one of my mooses. So I ripped, uh, I ripped a chair, I, the leg off of a chair, wooden chair. I, I didn't thrash him with it, but I wrapped it round his shins a few times, sort of had, had an altercation. Um, and they tried to come and I threw all the chairs in front of the door and I had a chair and I was it sounds worse than it was, sort of like a little, uh, a moody, a, a pathetic standoff sort of thing it was. Um, so what ended up happening was they chucked me on a bus and they sent me to Bedford. And now when I'm in Bedford, there's no medication. There's no this. I got my head completely straight. I was only there a month, but I got my head completely straight. Um, then had a court date because of the court date was back in the local catchment area for Norwich. I've gone to court, then court, they've taken me back to Norwich prison. And then they didn't take me over the hospital wing this time. because now I've been in a few months. They took me straight over to the main wing. And I thought, right, here we go. Like, got to get ready. But my head's straight now. I'm like, here we go. And I've gone in there and sort of everything was fine, to be honest with you. Yeah, no one... I had a couple of incidences, um, but no one really sort of said anything. Everything was kind of all right. What was the first incident? Um, well, like I say, not really an, uh, an incident, so to speak. Um, when you have an adjudication, so when you get nicked, you get a prison charge, You everyone... So say there's five people on the wing being nicked, and they've all got to see the governor at the same time. They'll take them down the block, and they'll put them in a little holding pen and then one by one they'll go in front of the governor and have their case 
my cellmate has come back to the wing and said, oh, listen, just to let you know, mate, see that bloke there and that big bloke covered in tattoos. He's in his 40s. He went, I've just been down on the nick and he was in the holding cell and he was saying, he said my name, saying, yeah, I'll fucking smash his head in when I fucking see him. I will, the cunt, that was my mate he killed and blah, blah, blah. So I went, all right, cheers for that. But he was on the threes, the third landing. I was on the twos, the second landing. And you couldn't mix. The gates would be locked off. So you couldn't, like, when you came out on association and showered and things like that, you could only stay on your landing. The only way you got to mix was on the exercise yard. So sort of like they let you down that. So the ones will go down, get their dinner, come back. Then they'll unlock the twos, go down, get their dinner, come back. Then the threes. So I've waited by the cage for him to come up. We couldn't have a fight. The cage is locked, but I've waited by the door. He's come up and I've sort of said to him there, you've got something to say to me, haven't you? No, no, don't even know who you are. I told him who I was and I was sort of, all my emotion sort of came out of me. Do you know what I mean? Because I was sick to death of, people talking like they knew what had happened but they didn't and i sort of you know had a had a bit of a shouting match at him and had a bit of a go at him and sort of said to him like when we go on exercise we're, we're sorting it out and um we dinner time you bang up when we came out after dinner there was a padlock on his door he'd put himself on protection um and then but then you get things like you don't want to you sort of your hands are tied as well because when it comes up to having your trial, you're trying to portray an image of yourself that you're a good boy. You so you get to that point now. You're probably you're having run-ins with people on the wing, but you can't really do anything because it looked bad if you go on your trial with black eyes, fat lips, things like that. Um, so was you ha going to have to go to trial? They weren't offering you what in America they call a plea bargain. Same I was asking them for a plea bargain. Okay. I was asking them. I was saying to my solicitor, tell them I will plead to manslaughter now. Yeah. I will plead to manslaughter today. Tell them I will do that. And they weren't having it. He come back and he said, no, they're not having it. Because over here, the law is, I thought there's no way on earth they can find me guilty of murder because it wasn't premeditated and I did not mean to kill him. So how can they find me guilty of murder? But over here, the law is, if you intend to cause someone serious harm and they die as a result of that, it doesn't matter that you didn't intend to kill them, you're guilty of murder because you've intended to cause them harm, you've carried out that intention, and they've died as a result. The judge and the prosecution both said, we accept you did not mean to kill him, but by going there, going to them and taking a knife, you went there with the intention that there was a good chance you would be using that. You, and you did use it, and he did die, and you're guilty of murder. How long did it take from the point you turned yourself in for you to get sentenced? That was about nine months, I think. That's nine about months. nine months on remand, yeah. And how long did the trial last? You know, like when you hear about murder trials and things like that, yeah, they're normally a lengthy process, mm. aren't they? Four days. Four days. Four days. What, what? They turned up. The, I, the first day, there is all day they're swearing the jury in. Yeah. So the first day is pretty much an opening statements. So my trial started on a Thursday. First day, swearing the jury in, opening statements. Friday, hear from witnesses. Monday, hear from witnesses. Tuesday, 
closing statements, found guilty. Okay. And they stitched me up so bad in my trial. Like I said, I'm not trying to... Uh, I never really struggled in prison because every day I was in there, I knew I deserved it. But what I didn't deserve was the home office pathologist to lie and give false evidence. What I didn't deserve was the witness against me to lie and give false evidence. I did commit a crime and I did deserve to go to prison. But I, if it wasn't for... they. They, yeah, they stitched me up bad. They did on the night that, um, and the, uh, on the night the incident happened, the other one. Remember when I said he jumped my brother, and I did intend to stab him, but something hit me in the back, and I thought I'd missed. I thought I'd missed, but I'd, I'd actually got him in the back of the shoulder. But it was just a scratch. He was in the hospital getting sort of stitched up and that. And the PC plod asked him a load of questions, sort of interviewed him, which he never should have done. Now when. I've on the Friday when my QC has got the witness on the stand, my QC's sort of tearing him apart, really, making him look silly. And it's all to do with um that they were alcoholics and then being drunk at the time and getting this wrong, getting that wrong. And he was arguing the point he was not drinking, he'd quit drinking. And so what they done was because he was looking so bad, what they done was on the Monday morning, PC Plod was in the prosecution chambers giving a statement, a brand new statement, and an hour and a half later was in the box giving that evidence when he'd had nine months to give that statement. I had the pathologist invite the jury to do experiments at home, which you are not allowed to do. Um, he gave, you can Google the, I think it's Dr. Michael Heath. If you Google him, he has been struck off now um, and been investigated for a numerous uh, murder cases where he's given inaccurate, incompetent, just completely false, bordering on lying evidence. Yeah, it's part of the course. The attitude I saw in the American justice system is, if you've done such and such a crime, we will make it as bad as we possibly can by exaggerating, fabricating evidence, procuring witness testimony to give you the biggest sentence possible because that's how we advance our careers and that's how the people in the justice system tend to work from what I saw myself. So what was your actual sentence? My sentence was, <coughs> I'll never, ever, ever forget it. I remember standing there. What actually happened was the jury went out and then an hour and a half later they came back. And what the judge does, the judge has to sum up and he gives directions. And the way he summed up, because although I wasn't charged with manslaughter, they do have the option to say not guilty of murder, but manslaughter. They have that option. So he was went over the points of murder to manslaughter. The, the legal points and the way he explained it sounded really, really, really good in my favour. An hour and a half later, the jury came back and said, can you just explain again the points between murder and manslaughter? The next time he explained it, he must have realised they're actually considering giving him a manslaughter. Now, 
the way he explained it the second time was completely different mm. to how he explained it the first time and it sounded really bad against me mm. but he got all the points of law correct so you can't appeal um they went out they was out for about an hour came back yep guilty um and bear in mind i had the section 18 for the other fella as well and to top it off they charged me with a fray as well um so i'll never forget the judge standing there and he said uh mr sweeney um yeah, you've been found guilty. There is only one sentence for the crime which you've been convicted. It's that sentence I now pass upon you, which is one of life imprisonment. One day the parole board may decide to release you. If that ever happens, you will be subject to license for the rest of your life. And obviously, that's that. That's, um, you've got people in the gallery cheering his family, then you look over at your mum and your mum's just crying and she's devastated. You're angry, and you but you don't know what to do. You just want to explode, but you can't and you don't. And the thoughts and the emotions at that time were just unbelievable. But then he said, um, for the section 18, I'll sentence you to nine years. And for the affray, I'll sentence you to three years. So I've gone downstairs. Back, they're running at the same time. Uh, all running at the same time. But like, because you can't, you're doing life. They can't add anything onto life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but at that time, all I knew was I've just got 11 years and a life sentence. They then took my brother up to get sentenced because although my, I kept my brother out of all the murder stuff, they still did charge him with supplying the cannabis, having a baseball bat, a fray, things like that. They took my brother up. He got sentenced. He got four and a half years. He came down and then they called me up and they called me back up and he said, um, yeah, the affray where I gave you, did I say nine years? No, he gave me eight years. He said, the affray where I gave you eight years, um, I want to amend that to six years. So, oh, all right, great. So, sorry. Then I remember going downstairs, life for nine years. What does that mean? And I didn't get told any minimum tariff. Sort of got back and they went, right, you've just been lifed off. You've got to wait now for the judge's recommendation. The judge recommends what your minimum tariff should be. Then it goes off to the Lord Chief Justice. He then puts in his recommendation. And then it goes to the Home Secretary and they stamp it. They, they, they and Your tariff is set. And my tariff was set at 14 years because of my age. So that means after 14 years, you go up in front of some board. Parole board, yeah. And they decide. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not a guarantee. No, no, no. It's not a guarantee. No. No, the hoops you have to jump through. Did you then get moved to a different prison? I got sent to HMP Whitemore. What was your first then, day there like? Um... Right, they're white more. Anyone who knows about the English prisons, you'll get a lot of people who have been to prison and uh, they think they know about the English prison system, but there's a lot of them that don't. But the people what do know, they'll know about the, what we call the dispersal system. And the dispersal system is, that is where all your high-risk A-cats, your double A-cats, all your... Your Mr. Bigs are. This is like Supermax in America. Yeah, they are where the pit, where the normal prison system can't control people. The this one can. Where you've got your Mr. Bigs, say like your big multi-millionaire 
drug smuggling gangsters, your heads of your crime syndicates and all that sort of stuff. That's where they all are, you know. Um, and it's had a reputation for being a really violent place, a really bad reputation it did. Uh, IRA escaped from there. Like that's where they would hold all the IRA and and things like that. Um, anyway, but what part of the country is this? This is in Cambridgeshire. Okay, a, a little place called March in Cambridgeshire. Um, so my first day, anyway, I've gone there. But luckily, a friend of mine went with me. He was the same age as me. He got a life sentence the same as me, and we become friends sort of like in Norwich and that. And they sent us both to Whitemore because. We applied to go to Gartree, which is an all-lifer prison. But where we were a bit of a handful, because we were, we were two 21-year-olds who had just got life, and we were a little bit of a handful on the wing. And with, um, yeah. Um, so they came to us and said, Whitemore have just opened a first-stage lifer unit. Do you want to go there? And now, back then, that was... Places like Norwich and short-term, local prisons and short-term prisons like CCAT, you just got nothing and plenty of it. But the long-term prison system, sounds stupid, but they were a little bit more comfortable. You got a TV, you know, you could, you got a rug, you could have your own curtains and your own bedding and things like that. They were a little bit more comfortable. So we just wanted to get to a long-term, me and my mate Malcolm. Um, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, so get to Whitemore. No, that's it. Just opened a first stage life centre. Yeah, get to Whitemore. There's no first stage life centre here. They sent us there to teach us a lesson. Anyway, they put him on a spur. They then take me, and I'm crapping myself, basically. And just fortune had it, there was one man in that jail from my town, and that was my really good mate's uncle. They've opened the door to the wing, and he stood there. I was like, oh, bloody hell, how you doing, mate? And um, no, actually, yeah, I've, yeah, I saw him, but I didn't speak to him straight away. I've took my property to my cell and I've come and I've stood outside the cell. And as soon as I stood outside the cell, someone's just walked past me with a kitchen knife in their hand. Walked past me with a kitchen knife in his hand, didn't acknowledge me, say hello, just walked straight into my cell. And I've just put my property in there. And I, my head straight away is like, fucking hell, that was quick, man. Like, like, I'm being robbed. I thought, fucking hell, they're robbing me. They ain't wasting no time to rob me. I was like, what do I do? And I took a second to go in my cell because I thought, if I go off, just like, please don't let me see him in my stuff. And I was just, please, please don't let, please don't let him be robbing me. Please don't let me see him in my stuff. And I've gone in and he was stood on a chair and he was using the knife to undo a curtain rail. <laughs> and I went, oh, but basically, yeah, as well. The, I was on what they call enhanced. So that's sort of like higher privileges. That was an enhanced spare I was on. And the screws told me I was in that cell just for that night because the cell I was meant to go in on the other spur was a bit trashed. So I knew I was only in that cell for one night. So I've come in and went, oh, taking the uh, curtain rail, mate, yeah? <laughs> he went, yeah? I went, yeah, you can have it, mate. I said, I'm only in here for one night. He went, fucking am having it. 
what do I do he's got a kitchen an actual kitchen knife in his hand an actual kitchen knife but what I don't know is the, the end is rounded off mm. but that'll still hurt you anyway it turns out he's he's then gone that's then when I've seen my mate's uncle he's come over he went oh did he just take the curtain rail did he he went yeah that's his cell he's literally just moved out of that cell Oh, he's just, and he actually then comes down the bloke with a couple of extra pillars and went, oh, you're right, mate. No, here, yeah, yeah. There's a couple. He he was actually all right, but for that split second, I yeah, I've went yeah, I shit myself a bit to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit of a strange one. So you're in there for one day, one night, and then you get moved to a regular wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get moved on to Red Spur. Yeah, and that's um, yeah, it's just you got your own cell. Yeah, yeah. And how were you received on the wing? Yeah, cool. Um, I was very shy at first, very sort of like standoffish and that, very, because there's sort of like a thing, whenever I go anywhere new, I like to just take a step back and observe because, and you've got this, and you, you have this sort of like do not approach face, you know, because otherwise you end up becoming friends with a wing dickhead. Um yeah, so I'm sort of, I'm just standing, I might have been the wing dickhead for a lot of people, I suppose, but I'm sort of standing off a bit and I'm just sort of like watching people and I'm nervous and that, but I've got my mate's uncle on the other spur, so whenever it's exercise, I'm walking around the exercise yard with him and everything's sort of all right and that, and um, then people turn up from other prisons who you get to know, and I was sort of, I don't know, it sort of come about, I ended up being kind of like the, the wing mascot sort of thing. I was I was a young kid. I was sort of like, I was the littlest. I was young. I was cheeky. Like, like once I got comfortable, I was sort of like cheeky and loved the banter and a laugh and a giggle and all that. And to be fair, that was when I sort of like started sort of like realizing like I'm I'm around really really serious serious people, and they they were gentlemen. They're, you don't need all this I'm a, I'm a bad boy and bullying people and you know to show people that you're bad and all that there's no need for that like bullying in there would not have been tolerated so me getting bullied would not have been tolerated I had a Jamaican hitman call me in the cell he was doing a 30 year tariff now I was friends with an Irish fella because my, my name's an Irish name so the Irish would see my name and be like although my dad's Scottish but anyway i and the Jamaican and the Irish, there was, let's just say, there was a bit of a barrier between them understanding each other. And we're having a bit of banter, me and the Irish fella and that. And we're, you know, a bit, bit of banter and all that. And the Jamaican fella, he's one, yo, yo, come here. Gone in there. Went, Is he bullying you? Because I'll go and carve him up now. I went, nah, 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 he's my pal. Nah, 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 he's not bullying me. Like, bullying in there would, would just would not have been tolerated, especially to someone who was like me, I was just a little kid, basically, to a lot of them in there, you know? Yeah. That's what I found, because I did every single security level. And in the higher security levels, the more established criminals had this, like, serious aura about them, but they didn't have to project this big badass facade. In the lower security levels, all the youngsters going around, I'm the biggest, baddest person. And that's where you have the most violence. Yeah. In the higher level... They know if they're going to go toe-to-toe, someone's going to get seriously hurt, if yeah, may- maybe even killed. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's mostly avoided if everybody shows respect. But in the lower levels, 
they're all just bumping heads trying to prove who they are and picking fights just so they can build their reputations. And the thing is as well, I've, I think over in America from like watching yours and Joe's videos and things like that, although bullying does go on over here, I don't seem to be nowhere near. Like, like that is rare over here that you will get people just walking into someone's cell and taking their canteen, what you call commissary. But over there, it seems like that happens quite often. Like, like the weak really do get preyed on over there. Whereas over here, it does happen, but it doesn't happen often. And nine times out of ten, the person was going in a weak person's cell and taking their stuff. He he that won't be stood for unless the person was being bullied is a wrong un. Do you know what I mean? Is is a rat or is a wrong un. Um but it, yeah, it doesn't really go on too much like, like that over so here. So over your 15 years, did anyone try and take anything from you? No, no, no. I've had incidences where in my young offenders days, because they, they were in my young offenders days, I did go through a period where I was trying to keep my nose clean I'd had a few fights. My mum was starting to get upset because back then the governor would just give you extra days. And, you know, and I'm trying to keep my nose clean and what starts out is a little bit of banter. Then they see that you don't bite back and then it go. And then before you know it, you're just getting absolutely mugged off and you've got yourself in this weird position where you're like, fuck, how have I... It's where you didn't nip it in the bud straight away... That's now got out of hand. And I do remember going on a visit and I do remember saying to my dad, like, Dad, it's just, that's getting out of hand now, Dad. Do you know what I mean? But I don't want to lose extra days. I don't want mum to be crying no more. And I just remember my dad saying, fly into him. He went, just fly into him, son. He went, fuck, we'll deal with it. You get extra days, we'll deal with it. He said, you can't live like that. So I did. I ended up, I had two fights in one week. Who, um, who are these people, Dan? What are they... Um, done to you um well the, the the first one this was a young offenders only um senior wing b wing you would eat in a hall and as stupid as it sounds sat next to each other and we're bumping elbows and i've said well yeah mate i said if i move over this way a little bit you move over he went you oh, you fucking mind your elbow or something like that and i just remember looking forward and the people that was facing me i just thought oh fuck it oh, Boom! I was put the nut on him. We're rolling round the, we're rolling round the dinner hall. Um, then another one. I wanted to buy a bit of cannabis, and he's wrapped up a bit of plastic, a bit of pen lid, but wrapped it up in loads and loads and loads of cling film. And what he thought was, I wouldn't obviously wouldn't unwrap that until I got back to my cell that night. But I've gone to the toilet and checked it and unraveled it all, saw as plastic. And I've gone sat there next to him and I'm like, look, come on, mate, give me my shower gel back. Because that's like a two quid thing, two quid shower gel, right? Come on, mate, give me my shower gel back. And we're sat on like low down blue chairs. He's sat there, I'm sat here and he's got all of his mates around him. And I'm on my own, completely on my own. Um, come on, mate, give me my shower gel back. He's got go and smoke it, go and smoke it. Go on, oh, you've got a fat thing there, go and smoke it. Um, so yeah, I cracked him, bit his face. Um, I cracked, yeah, just had a fight with him, um, and sort of like you get left alone. Then after that, you know, everyone, although no one thought Core was big, bad, and hard, they knew 
he's going to have a fight and we're going to get nicked and lose extra days. So they, and they don't want that. They want someone who they can just pick on, who's not going to fight. Do you know what I mean? That's what you, that is the thing. It don't matter if you lose, you have to fight because just by fighting, if they know that you will fight, they'll leave you alone because they don't want to get nicked. Unless it's like a personal, they won't bully you. But obviously if that's like a personal grudge, then it don't matter if you fight every day. You know, people, personal things between people, they get sorted out. But I've had other things, like I was saying, I had a fella um, before I was coming up for my trial. And like I said, I didn't want to get into no fights before my trial. And he was an older, he was, he was about 10 years older than me. Um, and he was like, I thought he was a bit of a rude boy, a bit of a bad boy and all that. And he would speak down to me and he would speak to me like I was a prick. And he used to, he used to sell the drugs and I, I used to buy the drugs and he'd speak there. And I thought, like, I'd let it go, let it go, let it go. Um, and then I've got my life sentence. Now, now I'm sort of like walking around the wing with, with a bear, like a bear with a sore head. And um, at them times, they used to sell you tomato sauce, salad cream, brown sauce in glass bottles. Um, me and him's got into a altercation. He started talking to me like I was a twat and I've, I just hadn't had it. So I grabbed him by the face, pushed him up the landing, but I had drugs in my sock. So like, right, I can't fight him now because if I get bent up, they'll get them. I went, wait here for the showers. I've gone, as I've gone, give them to my mate to hold. I've opened the door to give them to my mate. As I've come out of the door like that, he's come from beside me, punched me, cracked my head off the door, nearly knocked me out. If my friends hadn't jumped up in between us, he would have smashed my head in. So... I sort of like, you know, you, you make out that like everything's forgotten. And I really did just want, uh, he came and apologised and I really did want it to all be over with. But then you start getting that, oh, he probably, he's not even going to do nothing. And being a young man, he's not even going to do nothing. He's not even going to do nothing. Oh my God, what a dickhead, what a dickhead. And you hear that and you hear that and that sets your mind off and sets your mind off. And I, in the end, I got a broken bottle and I hid in the shower and I waited for him to come down and I attacked him with it. But like an idiot... I've attacked him with it as he's filling his flask up with boiling water out of the urn. Oh, I got it. I got it all in my face, all down my neck. I was lucky, though, that obviously that was just a flask of, say, three-quarter boiled water because they're done in big urns. Um, so, yeah, I got that. and that, So, yeah, I've, I've, I've had hot water. That weren't nice. Um, but... The stupid thing about it is, is then after that, that gets you so much like, say, kudos. That gets you so much that your your time's kind of like easy after that. Um, and then I bumped into the same fella 10 years later on the yard in Wayland, and I've now gone from an A-cap prison to a B-cap prison to now a C-cap prison. I'm really progressing. They're now talking about parole boards and D-cats. And I've bumped into the fella and he's still got the scars. And I've just gone, oh, shit, no. If he wants revenge, I can't, at this stage, the courses I've done, if I get in any trouble for violence fighting, my parole, I'm gone, I'm in trouble. So I thought, if he wants to do something to me, I'm in trouble. I've got, what can I do? 
I don't stand up for myself. I'm a mug. I do stand up for myself. I'm going to lose years. Luckily, fortunately, he looked at me. I looked at him. I pretended I didn't know him. He pretended he didn't know me. And I was happy with that. And we, we moved on. We kept it moving. Yeah. What was the most extreme violence you heard about or happened in any of these prisons that you were in? Um, the the most graphic, horrible one was um, in Swellside, Whitemore, place like that. You can cook your own food. Uh, Irish fella, boiling hot chip fat in the face. Chip fat, oh. Yeah, boiling hot oil, boiling hot chip fat in the face. Um, and... Uh, and some, oh, sorry, someone else was murdered on the wing. Um, you can Google this. If you Google murder in HMP Swellside, Swellside is on the Isle of Sheppey in Kent, and that's got a notorious reputation. I ended up being there for eight years. Um, yeah, someone someone was murdered on the wing, um, and they put him, they killed him, put him back in bed and covered him over with his blankets. Do you know what? The murder was over. I don't... The... Grapevine, the prison grapevine was there was a there was a there was like a young lad and he was a bit of a he was a bit of a handful and he was ruthless and he did not give a shit about no one and he'd had, he'd he'd cut a few people with razors he'd done a few people and he was just on that sort of that that ruthless thing and the rumor was that one of the dealers had said to these two lads, well, Thingy, we'll pay you to go and carve him up and then he gets carved up, whatever, don't, he gets moved off the wing. But again, I don't know how true this is or not. The rumour is that that got back to the fella and so the two what had been tasked with doing him, taking him out, they found out that he's found out and shit themselves and apparently gone in and killed this little old boy for no reason to get moved off the wing. That's the prison grapevine. That sounds a little bit far I think there's more to it than that, but that was what the prison grapevine... Um, yeah, that was the prison grapevine one, yeah. Were there any attacks on staff? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've had fights with staff. You had fights with staff? What was that over? Um, do you know what? That would just be stupid. I, I was so sort of like angry in the early days and I was so, what we what they used to say, stupid, anti-screw crew. Like I was so anti-authority, so anti against the staff. Um, and there would just be daft things like you'd have arguments with them and then the arguments would escalate. And one day I can remember being in the office and I can't remember what we were arguing over. No, that was it. I'd had an argument. I worked in the kitchens and I'd had an argument there in the kitchens. And as soon as I'd walked back on the wing, screws pulled me in the office, strip search. And my temper's high and I'm high already. And, and I took my T-shirt off and I threw it in the screw's face. And so he's lunged for me. And then that's it. As, and then that's it now. Me and three screws, we're all rolling around the office and you hear the alarm go, and the next thing you just hear boots, boom, 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 and you know you're in trouble any second, so you sort you stop. But yeah, that won't. You get dragged down the block in handcuffs. They kneel on the back of your neck. They, yeah, that's not nice. They, yeah, that's not nice. And um, the worst one I had with them was 
we'd got drinking on prison hooch. Me and four of my friends, there was five of us. We'd got drinking on prison hooch and that was coming close to bang up. And one of my mates said, I'm fucking had enough, mate. Let's just, let's just barricade. No, this isn't a good idea. Yeah, but no one wanted to be the pussy and not do it. So we thought that we would just barricade in the cell, the five of us, and we thought we'd watch match of the day and carry on drinking and fall asleep and just come out in the morning and go down the block. Well, they turned the electric off straight away. They turned the water off straight away. And that's what it was all a laugh and a joke and funny games. I'm putting on a Scottish accent at the door, not negotiating with them, saying I want jelly and ice cream and roll-ups and things like that. And um, my next-door neighbour, we said to him, when they when they look through the crack of your door, because they were they were thin spurs like corridors. When you when you see them coming, like the Mufti squad, they're the helmets and the shields. When you see them coming, turn your music up full blast. Because if he'd have said, Oh, they're here, he'd have got nicked for cooperating with us or something. So turn your music up full blast. He had a big stereo. And this is all going on. Like the whole wing is sort of buzzing with it all. Do you know what I mean? People are out the windows, everyone's buzzing with it all. Next thing, that's all gone really quiet. And the bracket on the doors, the prison doors, they all open inwards uh, and you can just slam them shut. And there's a bracket on the outside of the door and everything's really, really quiet. What's going on? What's going on? They're taking the bracket off. Next thing, next door neighbour, you just heard the bass line just go He's turned the music up full last. The door has flown outwards. As soon as there's one with a shield standing there, Darren's on the toilet, smashing the shield with a table leg. We're throwing bottles and bits of table and chairs and that at the screws. They sort of, bit by bit, they come in and there was Darren on the toilet. Then there was another friend. Then there was another friend. Then there was me. Then there was another friend behind me. One of my friends actually manages to sort of like get past him and get on the landing. And he's having a fight with him on the landing. They sort of have got Darren there. They've got my other mate on top of the bed. And then they get to me. And I would love to tell you that, yeah, I threw him here, there and everywhere. I took one swing at one of them and he basically folded me up like a deck chair. <laughs> Um, yeah, we had the prison guard on and he started out with a story um, about this Danny G who basically whooped 11 guards in his cell. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I've, I've met a few people like that. I would like to know, I would like to know, because I think, it was he a scouser, that Danny G? He was, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, from Liverpool. I think I know who he was talking about. I think I might have been in Whitemore with him. But um, I think there's two brothers, Danny and Darren. Yeah. And they've both been in and out. But Danny is still inside right now on an IPP. And Darren, I believe, is back in Liverpool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just he's got a, he's really got a rap, he's got a rap video that. on YouTube, actually. Because I watched that. I did watch that. And that really did sort of like ring a bell. But you do. You you meet people in there. Like people go on about, like, say, like Charlie Bronson and things like that. Oh, my God. What a dangerous man. There are people in in the dispersal system now who no one's ever heard of, but in that dispersal system, because such a, that is like its own little world. You've got the prison system and then you've got the dispersal prison system. And that is like its own little world. And you've got people in that dispersal prison system, they are 
sort of legends. They are, but no one out here has ever heard of them, you know. Um, what does that mean, dispersal prison system? That is what you would call, I don't know what, I honestly don't know why it's called dispersal, why they call it dispersal. Someone might be able to write and say, because I think what it used to be was once they sent you to one of them prisons, I think that is Whitemore, Longlarton, Franklin, Full Sutton and Wakefield. I think they are the five prisons. Gartry, Parkhurst used to be dispersals, but they're not now. But them five prisons, and that used to be, if you managed to get sent to one of them prisons, that was it. You got bounced around them five prisons and you was in that dispersal system and you did not get out. And they're the people, you know, when you talk about people who have spent years and years and years down the block getting sent from jail to jail to jail to jail on long-term segregation, they're the places where they'll end up, you know. Um and and that, that that might be why they call them the dispersal system because you just get dispersed around them five jails. I honestly don't know, but they are your maximum, maximum security prisons. The only prison outside of them five what's got the same security status is Belmarsh. Um, and you'll get a lot of people will speak to you and they'll say, yeah, I was in an ACAT prison. No, they was they was on a normal wing in a prison that happened to have an ACAT unit. You know that, and and that's the truth of it. You know they they was just on a normal wing in a prison. What? But that prison happened to have an ACAT unit. So how long were you ACAT? As in, maximum I was, I never was, and I never was an ACAT. They never ACAT me. They just sent me to that prison. To basically say, yeah, you cheeky little shit, like you know, um, and I ended up getting kicked out of that prison after how many years? Only one year. After one yeah, year, one year, I got kicked out. So of that where did prison. you go next? Swellside. And what was Swellside like? Lawless. 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 Swellside was. Um, Whereabouts in the country is that? That is the Isle of Sheppey in Kent. Okay. Yeah, and when I say lawless, I mean. That place was lawless. Party time. Like, you know, like you talk about the ecstasies. Yeah. I've done six ecstasy tablets down the punishment block in there. Um, it was flooded with drugs. Flooded with drugs. Again, Google it. The governor's son, who was an officer, I think he got three years for bringing in drugs. There was a whole, a friend of mine, the outside police soccer a serious organised crime agency, whatever they 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 nicked him and officers for a like like a syndicate thing, and they wanted to do a confiscation order on him. He was a prisoner. Um, yeah, staff were getting nicked all the time there. Staff were having affairs with inmates. Staff were getting nicked for bringing in drugs and phones. So have you been enticed back onto the heroin? Who me? Yeah. No. No. What, what prevented you from going back to the heroin? I wanted my life. Yeah, I wanted my life. I got off the heroin in 2007. I did. I got off the heroin in 2007. Um, really got into the gym. Really sort of like my whole... Because you have to do things called offending behaviour courses. And 
they really did sort of like open my eyes. And not only I was smart enough to realise if I didn't start knuckling down now, I was going to go over tariff. And so what basically happened was, yeah, I just changed sort of like my whole way of thinking and that, you know, like I stopped seeing the staff as the enemies and just started being normal with them. And I kind of found that once I started being normal with them, they started being normal with me. Um, and everything was, everything was sort of like, although it was stressful, the last six years of my sentence, everything kind of ran smoothly. Um, got to the open prison, got out and sort of, even when I got out, I hit the ground running. I was flying. Everything just fell into place. I was working. I was doing really well. Um, and then I had my accident and paralysed my arm. What year did you get released? 2015. What year did you have your accident? 2017. And what happened? How did this accident come about? Basically, I was on a motorbike um, going to pick my girlfriend up. She'd been around a friend's drinking. Um, so she said, can you come and pick me up? I didn't have a car license. I got out and only had bike license. So I was tired. It was late at night as well. And I was tired, but I got on the bike, sort of was riding down there and there's sort of a hill. And I don't remember coming off the bike. All I remember is waking up and the ambulance was there. But driving down that road since... What it is, is there's a box junction. And so the curb goes like that. High beams have come over the top of the hill, blinded me, and I've held the bike and carried on going straight. And that, since my accident, the last two years since my accident, has been probably worse than all the years I was inside, to be perfectly honest with In you. In what way? Well, that's kind of got me back on drugs because I'm, they put you on morphine. I'm now, like, I have to have painkillers because what I've done is I've detached all my nerves from my spine. And the, have you ever had a trapped nerve? Anyone ever had a trapped nerve? Yeah. That is painful. Well, imagine all your nerves being ripped out of their spine. Oh. And I've had, if you can see the scar there, where they've sliced me open. Yeah. They've sliced me open all down there. Oh, I've God, got them. Yeah. I've oh, got them on the back of my arm. Yeah, got them on the back of my arm, the inside of my arm, where they've tried to rewire me, um, and the pain is unbelievable. So I've pretty much, for the last two years, I've just been sat there in a proper mental depression because, like I say, I was so clean, healthy body, healthy mind. Uh, I'm there, feel like shit every single day because I'm taking morphine feel like um feel useless every day because i can't work and all i want to do is work i don't want no hand what, what kind of work do you like to do well i worked on building sites i got out i'd never been on a building site before in my life and a friend of mine said if you're looking for work just get your basic card to be a laborer and then you can widen your field got it got the opportunity for a job worked my socks off boss loved me if ever like the people who were high up needed help, they asked for me, really threw myself into it and really got on well. Saved up money, paid to get my license to, you know, drive the machinery on site. My wages went up. Everything was really going well. And um, yeah, then I have my accident and that was it. No more working. 
you know, I ain't trying to sit here and say, feel sorry for me, but uh, it's put a lot of, uh, you know, I have been through a lot of depression, to be honest with you. Um, just simply because of, I've done so well. I've done so well and everything was going in the right direction. And, but maybe that's karma. I've done so many horrible things. Life's definitely thrown some strange situations your way. You mentioned earlier about like getting drunk on hooch. You want to just explain what hooch is and how you made hooch in prison? Uh, prison wine. Yeah, prison wine. So that's basically, there are a number of ways to make it. How we used to do it in Swellside at that time was in the kitchen, they would leave the dough out to make the pizzas. Dough. Yeah, so we'd just snatch a handful of that and that had the yeast in it, obviously. And so then, yeah, you just put that in sort of like a bag put your fruit in there, bit of bread in there, bit of sugar, bit of apple juice, orange juice, whatever flavour you wanted it to be. And then you let that ferment. So where'd you hide the bag in the cell? Oh, there's loads of... I never would have it in my cell. There would always be someone, you'd pay them a bit of tobacco or something like that and they would hide it. But people would make false backs for the cupboards. People would... You know, like you have, every wing would have showers and bathrooms. People would take the panel off the bath. You know, there, there's all sorts of places where people would hide them. A lot of times people used to hide it in plain sight. Um, you know, the, say, five litre, the one gallon, say, like tubs, what washing up liquid comes in and things like that. They'd make it in that. But obviously during the day, you'd have to have the lid on it. And they'd just leave it. So it looked like a thing of detergent, you know, but that weren't because you, you had to let the, because the pressure would build, you had to let that off. You had to let that off. They'd done a security, they'd done a security spin in Whitemore once and my friend had given me a little bit because you'd use the last bit to make the next bit. He'd given me a little bit called a kick, a kickstart. And I didn't know nothing about it. I threw it under the bed, woke up in the morning, screws have put a letter under the door full lockdown, full security spin. There was, oh, I went, oh no, gone under my bed, went to pour it out the window, all dog vans and all that outside the windows, the screws are all on the wing. I didn't know that this stuff, I've undone the lid and that exploded everywhere. <laughs> and the smell was absolutely, I'm trying to pour it down. I think, I've, luckily they didn't come to my cell for hours. Otherwise, I would have been in trouble. But that, that yeah, the smell, that was horrible, horrible. How strong was your hooch? Um, that done the job. That got five of us, that got five of us wrecked and that got five of us dragged down the block. I, tr I did it, I tried it a few times, but I generally got the shits off it. Did I didn't really shits? like it. I didn't really like it. Uh, uh, that's not my cup of tea. Because, look, one of my mates, you get the slush at the bottom mm. And that is what will give you the shits. Yeah, that is what will give you the shits. But Swellside was lawless. Like, I've had it where they've come in my cell and I've got a mobile phone in my boxer shorts and they've come in my cell to cell search me and I'm pretending that I'm waking up trying to stick this phone up my ass without no lubricant or nothing like that, you know? Where did the phone come from? Screws. Screws bring them in. There, there's a... Uh, thing over here in England there's things what anyone who's been inside will know it's called works and that's basically your toilet break your sink break your light break the handymen come around the works department 
And uh, yeah, one, he was a bad, bad, bad coke addict. And uh, he liked he liked cocaine a lot. And that's what he used to, he used to bring a lot of stuff in, a lot of stuff in he did. What's the value of a phone in prison if you were going to trade? At, right now, I've been out now four years and that's all smartphones and things like that now. God's honest truth. I, don't, I think it varies from, from jail to jail. At my time, the mid-2000s, when it was flip phones and things like that, there was I've known him to go for a thousand pound. I've known him to go for five hundred pound. At one time, there was that many phones in the jail. You was lucky to get like two two hundred pound, three hundred pound. But then there's other times where there's no phones, and they will charge up to a thousand pound. So a thousand pound is um, approximately one thousand three hundred, four hundred dollars right now. Would you say there's a lot of talent? in prison talented people it's yeah. like a kind of a wasted talent unbelievable yeah yeah uh, especially i don't know what it is about prison artists you must have seen there's so many fucking good artists you see in prison um and a lot of them get into the tattooing don't they but i've seen you know just a prison tattoo gun i've seen a fella like tattoo a child's face from a photograph just with a print, and, and that's perfect. Done all the shade and everything. So many talent, but and, uh, do you know what? So many intelligent people. So many intelligent people. I know people that can't read and write, but you will never get one over on them. They are as sharp as a tack, you know. Um, yeah, I, they're just. They're just a waste, didn't they, Joe? They're just a waste. Everywhere, they're, they're just an absolute waste. Yeah, and one they of don't things, do nothing for no one. One of the things I encourage prisoners to do is enter the Kersler Awards. They have all these different categories for art. And I entered a short story, won a prize, got mentored, ended up becoming an author through it. Brilliant people. But they'll if, if you're in prison, um, if you're like a poet or a rapper or a writer, or, a, you know, photography, whatever it is, your art, there's all these different categories you can enter stuff in. And if you do win something, or you can apply to go on the mentor scheme, and they will send someone from your field, so I had a published author would come, and she would mentor me once a month and help me, you know, ab achieve my, my goals. So the Kersler Trust is a good way for if prisoners' um, families are watching this, and your family member in prison is a, an artist, I advise that you put them in, in touch with the Kersler Trust. All right, so there reached a point then in your incarceration where you decided, I'm off the heroin, off the drugs now, I've got to start behaving myself because I want to get out when I'm up for parole. After that point, what was an average day in prison like for you? What did you how did you fill your time? Uh, the gym. I, was, I pretty much got myself jobs down the gym. A job and, at the gym? Yeah. What yep. was your job at the gym? Uh, when I was in Swellside, it was um, to do courses to get qualifications. So things like your MVQ and then... What's uh, MVQ? Uh, national Vocational Qualification or something like that. What does that mean? Um, that's basically a qualification. That's um, sort of higher learning. So... 
and that's normally to do around things like um, trade. So say you'd get an MVQ in bricklaying or an MVQ in painting and decorating, MVQ in welding, MVQ in gym instructing, MVQ in mechanics. A sort of you've got GCSEs sort of thing and, and A levels and things like that. But MVQs are I don't really know to be honest. They're, they're just they're just courses qualifications. You and know, how long yeah. how long were you working at the gym? Um, well, in swell sides, I was working down the gym for maybe a year, maybe like doing courses, getting qualified to be a gym instructor, things like that. Um, and at swell side, what facilities are at the gym? Uh, well, all your all your bells and whistles, like in the weights room. All so your, you got all, all your bars and your weights and stuff because we yeah. didn't have this in America because it's weaponized. Right, see, yeah, yeah that's the, the off, of course. Do you know what? That's lucky, really, that um, we do have a gym. I've seen someone get the whole front of his head dented, completely caved in with a 10 kilo dumbbell laying what, what on the was bench. That? What was that over? I think that was over racism. I think that racism. was. Yeah, yeah, I think he was a big Welsh bloke and again, I didn't know the people involved. That's just what you hear the prison grapevine afterwards. But I think he'd said something racist to the black fella. Um, and he's laying on the bench and doing his bench press. The kid just boom, rot in his forehead. Big, Peeled nearly his died. Skull back. Yeah, crack, Peeled his skull back. Smashed his skull, smashed his skull, his skull in. Sp- smashed his skull in. Nearly died. Yeah, he nearly died. I think he, he got life for it as well, the, the fellow that done it. Oh, did he? Yeah. Was he in on a shorter sentence? No, I think he was in doing life anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, all all your like your machines, all your squat racks, all your all your bars, all your dumbbells, all your weight. Then swell side, that actually started getting like really good. You had all your rowing machines, your biking machines. He used to do spin classes. You know, I don't know what I sound like that's a leisure camp. Um, <laughs> it probably is making it sound like a leisure camp. Um, then you know you got your big sports hall. You can go and play badminton, indoor tennis, volleyball. Basketball. Wow, can't imagine that in Arizona. Yeah, no. Um, but th- don't get me wrong. That's not a case of you can just wake up every morning and go, ah, fancy a bit of volleyball today, old chum. <laughs> you can't, you know, you can't do that. You can't do that. What, how, what do you have to do to access the gym? You got to behave yourself, so you got all your privileges, yeah. stuff like that. Well, everyone sort of like as soon as you sort of like you, you come in and that you'll you'll get your routine, and your routine will depend on things like a what wing you're on, b what job you get. Do you know what I mean? And things like that, yeah. So say like, I don't know, say you come in and you haven't got a job straight away. You might be in a jail where they let you go to the gym every morning. Or you might be in a jail where they say, because you're not working, you only get gym once a week. It really is different, like like what, what jail you go to. Um, and also things like as well, like um, where you work. So you might be working down a bricklaying shop and the bricklaying shop, they get to go to the gym on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays and they get free because they're working. Uh, but then you might be in a welding shop and they get to go on a Monday, Friday and Saturday and they get free because they're working. Uh, you know, and, and it's things like that. But in Swellside back then it started out, everyone got two gym sessions a week. Um, How long's a session? An hour, an hour session. That's normally what they are. It's normally an hour session, but there's things you can do. Like, like I say, you might get a job where that job is a bit of a privileged job. You might get more gym sessions. You've got a thing in uh, British prisons as well, basic standard and enhanced. It's called the IEP 
incentive earned privilege scheme. So everyone who first goes into jail will be on standard uh, because they haven't seen if you're bad behaved or good behaved. So, and that means standard privileges. Then again, depending on behavior, you get put on basic, which is marked down. That's really, really basic privileges, really no privileges. Um, or if you're really good and sort of behave yourself, model prisoner, they put you on enhanced and that's enhanced privileges. So you get, say, like more visits, you're allowed to spend more money on your canteen sheet, you are uh, get extra gym and things like that. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. What other jobs are available then? Um, I've... I've worked in the painting and decorating shop. I've worked in the welding shop. I've worked then the gym. I've worked as a wing cleaner. I've worked on the hot plate. I've worked in the kitchens. Um, I've even worked in, as like a packing workshop, um, plastic like punnets, you know, like strawberry punnets, plastic punnets, and you had to put a dab of glue in it and then put a little bit of thin bubble wrap type thing in it and then do the but because that, that's an outside company what comes in opens up a workshop and the, but the people they're like some of them workshops like a normal wage cleaner would be 10 pound a week but then workshops you're earning 30 to 50 pound a week but to get that job you've got to be enhanced you know and and you know and that is a lot of money and so you just, you just reeled off about 10 different jobs could you just give uh, do each one just give a little description of what they actually involved? Um, hot plate worker. Everyone obviously needs needs their food. Um, so like you like you've probably seen on the telly when it's dinner and tea time, people go down and queue up. You got the people behind the jump what serve the food. That's that's hot plate worker. So you were back and the advantage of that was you could eat extra food. Yeah, yeah. The advantages the advantages of that are not only can you eat extra food. But other people want extra food. So they will, boy, mate, if you look after me, I'll look after you. Doesn't that create a problem if you hook someone up, the next guy in the line's like, where's mine? No, not really. No, not really. Yeah, it can do because, again, sort of like you, prison politics, you know who to, people know who they can do it with and who they can't do it with. And a lot of the times that will be, you'll keep stuff back and then go to their cell after. So it's not in front of everyone because you're not technically allowed to do it. Um, so yeah, say like it's extra chocolate bars or something like that. They'll come to your cell after or you'll go to their cell or, you know, it's not like, oh, you give them a great big mountain in front of everyone else. Um, the laundry job is a job like that as well. Now, used to be you could not wear your own clothes in prison, but now most prisons you're allowed to wear your own clothes. And because of that, there'll be a washing machine tumble dryer on the wing and they'll have a laundry orderly. And what they'll do is you'll have set days to do your washing. So say, for instance, cell 1 to 10, your wash days are Monday, 11 to 20, your wash days are Tuesday, such and such. Um, but people, they want their clothes washing more than once a week. Especially if they got a visit. Yeah, you know, and things like that. So that's where, like, oh, mate, do me an extra wash and I'll give you a tin of tuna. And that that that's that's a sort of like an all right job to have. So what what you lot would say, a prison hustle. That's a good prison hustle, the uh, the laundry. Um, kitchens, cook the food, what the, the prisoners eat. Um, 
the welding shop. There was two in Swellside that was an actual running shop what produced actual products for jails around the country. What like kind we, of products? We would make the gates. We would make the bars and the windows. We would make like fences, grills, um, all, all sorts of stuff like that. Big, big gates, double bolted gates. Uh, we, we would make all that stuff and they would get sent out. But then when I, but they never offered a qualification at that time. But then when I went to Wayland, they had a welding shop, which you didn't produce stuff, but they done the qualification. So a lot of these jobs, like you say, like bricklaying, uh, painting and decorating, welding, or you're not actually bricklaying or painting and decorating. You're, you're doing a course to get a qualification. And out of all of the jobs that you ever did, which one did you enjoy the most? The gym. The gym? Yeah. What were we actually doing in the gym then? Um, training. Oh, we we, we what, started... You, you could train while you worked? Uh, you, training, oh, you were training other people? Oh, the, the job, right. Yeah. Well, well, like, in Swellside, when I was there, that was to do courses. Yeah, so you said the course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when I was in Wayland and I was working down the gym, they gave me a job as a health trainer. A trainer, I, like yeah, a personal trainer? Well, not, not actually a personal trainer. Yeah. What it was, because I'd done the qualifications, you'd say like, say like yourself, whatever, you come in and all that, yeah? You'd put in an application to see a health trainer. You'd come down, they'd give you an appointment for a certain session, would always be an afternoon. You'd come down and what I'd do, I'd take you, yeah, I'd um, take your BMI, I'd weigh you, do your height, measurements, all that and all that. I'd give you food diaries. Say if you was a bit overweight and you wanted help, help to lose weight, I'd give you food diaries, send you away for a couple of weeks, give you an appointment two weeks later. You'd come back, I'd look at what you're eating, sort of like make you a little eating plan, um, give you like a little training plan and things like that to do. Um, yeah, but that used to be just the afternoons. So evenings, mornings, weekends, because I worked there, I could go there whenever I wanted. How did that feel for you then? Because you'd lived this lifestyle of, it's about me really, I want to get high, to suddenly start to help other people. I, I, I loved it. I loved it. I'm, I've got this thing, sort of like my, my family, my brother especially, my brother and my girlfriend, they say, like, you're too generous. Stop it. You're too generous. You're too generous. There's been occasions where I've sort of, like, re re really kind of been a bit over generous with people. But I'll try and explain to them that's not, be that's not because that's particularly that person. It's because it makes me feel good. I'm sort of, in a way, doing it. It looks all noble and generous, but really it's selfish because I'm doing it because it makes me feel good. I just feel like I've done so much shit things in my life. It actually does make me feel a little bit better when I can do something nice for someone. And yeah, helping someone. That's really why I'm, I'm here. Just I've probably done a rubbish job, but I just want to try and get across to sort of like... The, like the kids and that, do you know what I mean? That, you know, everyone sits there and thinks, oh, that's you, man. You were stupid enough to get caught. I won't get caught. The prisons are full of people who all thought that they wouldn't get caught. Do you know what I mean? Trying what I try and say to the kids, you know, 
when you come home and you, you're rude to your mum and things like that, trust me, when that door slams behind you, your mum is the one you want to talk to. Your mum's the one what sheds tears for you, you know? Your mum's the first person you want to call. Um, so, like, I sort of... I really kind of, like, get a little bit offended now. Like, when I see youngsters, as my, my partner's got teenage daughters and that, they, they're actually quite good. But I'm saying, like, when you see sort of like the youngsters being rude to their mums, that gets, I'll tell them. Because I'm like, listen, you don't understand how much that woman's probably the only woman was there, you know? Because all your pals and all that who you've given at the beginning front of, they won't be there when the shit hits the fan, but your mum will, you know? Um, just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just don't want people to... I sat in prison and I used to imagine getting out and I imagined that my life would be sitting in a little bed sit on my own, no life, no money, just shit. And I got out and I got a decent job and I was earning good money and I got a girlfriend and I was doing nice things and I couldn't believe how easy it was. And I thought, why didn't I do this 20 years ago? Why didn't I do this 20? And that's what I want to try and say to like the youngsters. You all sit there and think, oh, yeah, well, that's people born with a silver spoon. That's people who, oh, their dad give it to them or their uncle owns that business or this and that. It's doable. It's it's doable. Do you know what I mean? Don't get on. There's nothing worse than getting to my age and looking back and just seeing nothing but regret. Nothing but regret. And, you know, to do with the whole while I went to prison for as long as I did, I promise you now, hand on heart, if there was a button there now and they come to me and said, if you press that button, that man can come back to life, but you will have to spend the rest of your life in prison, I would press that button without thinking twice. And my mum and everyone, they'd be gutted, but they'd have to live with it. I would. There's not a day go by, but... We can't turn back the clock. All we can do is move forward, can't we? Yeah, that's a powerful message. So before we started the podcast, we mentioned how um, you were watching some of the other prison channels. What got you into watching prison channels on YouTube? I'll be honest with you, that was because of my accident. All of a sudden, I'm sitting at home all day, sort of depressed, watching YouTube and you kind of go down the wormhole of YouTube, don't you? One thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. suggested. Yeah. Um, and I come across after prison show. That's basically what it was. And then you get all similar related things, don't you? Big hook. And then 23 I, and 1. And then I, sit there, then I see you and I'll be perfectly honest with you. You were sort of like this middle class, but, <laughs> but your story, <laughs> your story, you know, like off maybe I could, there's so much more to my story. I could sit here for hours and really go in deep about it, but you know, there, there's no point. Your story, what you've got across, that does seem like a film. That is wow. Like your story is wow. You know, that yeah. is just, Crazy man, that is just crazy, isn't it? But 
to look at you, you would think, how on earth? I'm the boy next door. You? Yeah, Bottom how on earth would, would you have got into this? Like, earning all that money, stock broke in, doing really well. Well, I the think... damn acid house era. <laughs> <laughs> when you're a lad in your 20s and the testosterone is raging... And you just your attitude is just like fuck the world. I'm taking it all. Yep. That's 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 what I was. I'd watched that movie Wall Street. Greed is good. Coming from a little town, little chemical manufacturing town, didn't have wealth. So I thought, right, I'm gonna have a piece of this when I get to America. The the bit about your story, what made me like, is just a bit of of this is probably gonna put across a really negative impression of me now but when you said you're all at the party and the copper comes in and that's your first introduction to the new mexican oh, yeah, and he just G-dog. puts the gun to the copper's head yeah. and says the only one who's not leaving motherfucker is you yeah yeah and Maybe. i'm just like fuck, like that's what i'm saying like over here we all like to think we're little gangsters with little bad boys and all that i, I don't but i was saying when i was a kid Lot likes to think I was a little gangster, a little bad boy, but that's just that's like out of films, do you know what I mean? I think the Americans take a lot of things to extremes. So, if you, if you compare like the mafia in uh America versus in the UK, I think it's 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 far more formidable. They're heavily armed, uh, they've been ingrained for decades, very organized, and it's it's, it's big business out there. I know, mate, I know, mate, I know. Oh, listen, the old Sammy the ball comes over here, mate. Give me a ring. I'll sort him out, yeah? <laughs> what about then on Joe's channel? What of his videos stood out the most I'll to you? I'll tell you what. I'll APS? tell you what it was with him. When he started out, he was just telling prison stories. Like, oh, the day that I had a fight. I got. I, I don't want to come across... I've got so many stories where I could sit and we'd be pissing ourselves laughing, but I sort of I don't really want to come across as like I think all that side of life is funny. It's my first introduction to, to people, do you know what I mean? Um but yeah, it's just the way he's like talking about just day-to-day prison life, and although that's America and this is England, there was just so much that I related to, that I recognised from from over here as well. Do you know what I mean? Like the thing about like what he's saying, um, over here now, years ago when I was first going away, you would never, ever, ever see a grass walking around the wing, a snitch yeah. walking around the wing. It couldn't, couldn't happen. Yeah. Now they walk around the, the wing bold as brass. No one does nothing to them because, well, you know for a fact that they're going to snitch on you. But the prisons have become so sort of like cushy now where, you know, you've got all your little home comforts. No one wants to lose it. Becomes a way of life for some people, doesn't it? Yeah. They, they go in and sober up or they go in and do drugs and everything's handled for them. They don't have to worry about the laundry and all that. That's what that's what I'm saying, yeah. It's, it's the, the, the prison system over here, because of the um, the cutbacks and all that, and again, what, what my old mate Pepsi was saying... <laughs> There were, there ain't there ain't no like gang thing over here in this country. Do you know what I mean? You you, you can't really say there's a gang thing. Even the Muslims, although they do stick together, they're not even really so much of like a gang. Do you know what I mean? And you, 
you pretty, like, loads of them I, I, I got on a right with. I was very fortunate that I wasn't a, any kind of top boy. I wasn't any kind of big man or anything like that. But I was very fortunate that I made friends with people who sort of were. Um, so I never kind of had that kind of trouble with 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 a, with a certain group or anything like that because I had a big group myself, you know. Um, yeah, like my friend too, Tony. He got me out of some scrapes. I'm not a big tough guy, but when you make an alliance with someone who's like a shot caller or someone it. who's got that got respect, that's it. it. It trickles down to you, doesn't it? Then the umbrella of protection. That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. Then and you know, like I said, I wasn't any kind of big man or anything like that, and I'm pretty sure no one would have been scared to fight me or anything like that. But when you've got a group of friends, a good solid group as well. They do think twice because as well, all right, I'll go and have a fight with him. I'm not scared of him, but if I do, he's mates with him, him and him, and that's gonna cause problems and this and that. And so don't get me wrong, if you proper take the piss out of someone, they're gonna they're not gonna have it. But on ninety-nine percent of the things, they can get squashed and they would if you've got the right people around you, they do get squashed. I was lucky because I got arrested with one of my best friends, Wildman. Yeah, I have saw him you, on through Geordie. <laughs> what do you think of Wildman? <laughs> to be honest with you, I think the most obviously it's really hard to the man who's who you're looking at. It's hard to connect the dots between him and the stories, but you've got to remember there was probably thirty years, twenty, thirty years yeah. difference, but. There's on one of them, there's the photo where he's got long hair and he's wearing the orange and he's a lot younger. Yeah. And that's when you're like, yeah, you can see he was a unit. He was a gorilla of a man, wasn't he? He was, well, he's 26 stone. His shoulders are light up. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I'm saying. His hands are twice my size, just all teeth marks all along. That's what I'm saying. He'd just go like that, wouldn't he? He'd just hold you in place. Like there'd just be nothing. He he tended to knock people out of his left hand just very quickly. Yeah. I've got a pal like that yeah <laughs> they're blessed they're just blessed didn't they they can just swing it and it's lazy as well they don't even look like they put any effort in yeah. and then the people are asleep I can run from here to there and give it my best shot and all I'll do is make the bloke angry <laughs> yeah so did you watch any Big Herc? no I don't think oh Big Herc was that the um, he's out of Cali he did the, um, the special forces bloke no that, he's, he's he was a bank robber in Cali and um, he's got his own prison channel. Yeah, big black uh, fella. Big black fella. Yeah, I've yeah. Seen one or two, but not paid much yeah, attention. Yeah, he's good, man. He's, in, he's interviewed some fascinating his, people. His voice don't match his appearance, do it? <laughs> that's that's the bloke in it. Yeah. And then there's twenty three and one lockdown. Yeah, I've seen you a little bit of, of that. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah, we should do like the APS. We should do. We should get some shit going. We we do. We teach them how to cook mackerel curry in the microwave <laughs> over here. And you mentioned you watched Danny on APS. Danny, yeah, watch Danny. What a story! To think, man, to think like I think to myself like because his story was was that he done twenty six years, then he got out. And he was out for about nine or 10 months and then went back away and done another 14. And I think to myself, 
I've just done like the 14, like the 14 and a half. I've just done the 14 bits. I have the 26 as well. And out there as well. Like like you like you say, when when you did you see the video when like the Mufti squad come for him to do the cell extraction? With Danny? Yeah. I can't remember. I've watched a lot of his videos. What happened? Uh well ba basically they'd done a cell extraction on him, like he, he refused to cuff up, like he, he refused to move from one bit to the other bit. So they've they've gone in, roughed him up, cut him up and dragged him out, done the cell extraction. That is pretty much how how it was with us when we done the five man thing and um they have to video record it they have to video record it and i can remember that happened in 2005 and i was still there till 2010 and i remember a couple of years later staff new staff coming up to me and going oh see you what do you mean you see me yeah see you that they used our video as training <laughs> yeah, they used our video as training. So, um, yeah, all the new staff, what come into that jail, sort of had an impression of me straight away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So besides um, sitting there watching YouTube videos, what are you doing with yourself these days? Um, I don't know, talking myself out of suicide every day, oh, to man. be honest with you. Now I'm joking. That ain't quite that bad. Um, I'm just really like stuck in a rut. Really, just I want to work. I want to work, but I don't have any qualifications. I am. I'm a really good hard worker. I'm a good grafter, but all I know how to do is on the building site, the groundwork in. Um, so if someone watching this wanted to help you out, Ben. What area of the country would you be willing to work in? Um, anywhere. If it's work, anywhere. What, what would help you out the most, or where are you based? Uh, I'm based in Norfolk. So I'm based far in Norfolk, side of the yeah. Country. Kings yeah. Lynn. Yeah. Well, just outside Kings Lynn in Norfolk, I am, yeah. I'm just... The accident really set me back. It really did. That was... Yeah, so that's, that's, been, that's been a hard time. I'm not going to lie. That has been a really, really, really hard time. Is there any other ways that people watching this could help you? I, I, I'm, I'm not here to help myself, you know. I just, I actually spoke to probation a long time ago. I've seen a few people, they're trying to do charity work and see a lot of things on YouTube, Facebook and that. And for a while, I've thought to myself, like, I'd, I'd like to do that. Like, I'd like to you know, work with the kids, try and tell you, you know, look, I'm someone who's been there and that, you know, just try and, even if you're not getting them out of crime, maybe just getting them to get out of a certain mentality, you know, like, don't, if you're going to do it, don't snatch old ladies' handbags. Like, you know, not you shouldn't do any of it, but... Just try and just try and help like 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 the the kids and that. And I thought that for a while and wanted to do something to get my story. And I spoke to probation and probation said no, we don't do that. She said people like you are a complete waste. We we should be using you. We should be using people like you. But they do not do it. They will not do it. Was, so if, if there's anyone in the Norfolk area then who was working with young people at risk of offending. Would you be willing just to go down and yeah. talk, talk to that group of people? Yeah, yeah. Something you're interested in doing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would, yeah. I've just, um, <laughs> I've, like I say, I've got a paralysed arm 
And uh, yeah, they I went for an assessment just before Christmas and they told me, I weren't sure I was going to be able to come here. Um, they told me uh, the other day, yeah, all your disability money stopped, you're fit to go back to work. I said, I've got... And, I, and they had the bit of paper in front of me. And one of the questions was, can you hold a pen or a pencil in one of your hands? Yeah, I can hold a pen in my left hand, but I'm right-handed. I can't write. Can you lift one of your arms above head height? Well, yeah, one of them I can. But what, you know, and due to that, I'm uh, fit to go to work. But I'm actually, the only reason I was able to come here is because I'm in Stanmore Hospital. I'm getting admitted Monday morning and I'm there for a week for physiotherapy. Gotcha. Yeah, so things are a bit, right now, life is a little bit crap, to be honest with you. And panic stations have set in. Um, but what can we do, man? I've been in worse places. Well, look, let's take this negative into a positive. There's young people going to be watching this all over the world. And I think you've you've given, you know, a harrowing description of what can happen if you make those choices. Just from a simple fucking £15 weed deal, which is about $20 in America. You know, there's probably kids every minute of the day doing weed deals of those levels while it's all, you know, illegal in so many countries right now. You've really come here today, took your time out, driven, what was it, like four or five hours to come here today and um, share your story and show these young people around the world what, if they choose that lifestyle, absolutely anything can happen. You know, half my mates who I was involved with were all hardcore party people. And half, half of them are dead now. So I hope this puts out this message to young people uh, of the potential consequences of that lifestyle because it's a long road and it might start out as fun and exciting and you think you're like copying a celebrity addict or uh, something you've seen in the movies. But it, it, the, th- it, the thing is, sorry, go but, for it, go but, for it. but the thing is as well, with a lot of young people, that's, all, that's that reputation thing, that's being the bad man, that's the people talking about you going, oh my God, did you hear what he done? And being the nutcase and getting that rep, yeah? And that's what I was on. And I was a young kid and that rep and that mindset, that was all what was important to me. And do you know when it really, really hit me, sort of like since I've been out, speaking to some younger lads from my town who were really little kids when I got locked up, they don't even know who I am. I've been away that long. They've never even heard my name. And I'm like, so I've spent all them years in prison, wasted the complete prime of my life from 20 to 35, the complete prime of my life, um, chasing this reputation to be the bad man, to be the one who everyone thinks is the bollocks, and earn a penny out of it, and then now all these years later, no one even knows who I am. And the thing is, I see so many people, they're nutters. There are people out there, what about, if this is you, you're bad on the sniff, you're bad on the drink, you're bad on the drugs, and you're a nutcase, and you don't give a shit, and you're ruthless, and you're wild. Trust me, the amount of people I've seen who then, they're now in prison, and that's a couple of years later, and they're sober, 
And they realize without all them drugs and that alcohol in them, they are not that person. They are not that person, you know, and, but it's too late. It's too late, you know. Oh, I don't give a shit. Oh, fuck, fuck the consequences. But in 10 years' time, when you're still in that cell and you still do not have a release date, you will give a shit. So many people commit crimes when they're off their faces. People who have normal lives, sometimes they just get high and, and they do something and that's it. Then they're regretting it for the rest of their lives. So if you've enjoyed this video, please put some comments below it. Or if you've got any questions for Sean, put them in the uh, comments below this video. I'm Let, sorry if exactly I've come across think. bad. I'm very, no, no, you've very done, nervous. You've, you've, done, you've done a very good, you've done a very good um, job, Sean. Yeah, give us, give us a hug, brother. Thank you, Thank man. You.